but often that authority just comes with what you're saying because you're saying something that makes so much sense to them or that's blowing their mind that they've never heard from their traditional care physician. And it's not that there's anything wrong with the basic stuff they're getting done with their doctor, but they're looking for someone to help them solve their problem. At the end of the day, they don't really care about all the diplomas you have on the wall. They wanna know, A, you can solve their problem, B, you're gonna be sympathetic to them. And it has to have those two pieces. This is Getting to Yes, the podcast with leaders from all walks of life, exploring their successes, mistakes, and lessons learned in influence, persuasion, and getting others to say yes, and then taking an insight or two to help you achieve even greater things. For a lot of folks, public speaking and being on camera are among their biggest fears. So in this episode of Getting to Yes, we'll explore how to ditch your camera jitters and present yourself confidently. Because if you can't communicate confidently, it's very difficult to build a following online. And I can't imagine a better expert than Jennifer Isalo, who has been on dozens and dozens of TV shows from ABC to CBS, Fox, Montel Williams, and The Today Show, to starring in thousands of videos over the last 15 years. As a media coach to integrative and functional medicine practitioners, Jennifer is on a mission to help healers confidently deliver their message on camera. As a professionally trained chef and functional wellness expert, she's also a prolific author with over 25 published books. And of course, she's also my amazing wife. Jennifer, welcome to the show. It's about time you had me on here. I've been waiting. <laughs> well, you've been an integral part of helping so many integrative and functional medicine healers get their message out in a bigger way. And one of the things that you keep telling me and that we've noticed is that a lot of folks express that they have fear of the camera, they have jitters. So let's talk about how you got started with television appearances and the kind of jitters you went through with your very first TV appearance on the Today Show. Uh, goodness, yeah. So my experience with TV has really been trial by fire, and I was literally just thrown into it. I was working as a chef, and my background is I worked as a professionally trained chef in New York City kitchens, and then I went on to private chef for celebrities. And at the time, I was also freelancing as a food stylist. So I had some TV producers hit me up to do a pilot to help do the food styling for the pilot. And then they switched gears and said, we think you should be actually on the other side of the camera. And of course, this terrified me because I'm an extreme introvert. I work great with small groups, but the idea of being on camera was probably the scariest thing I've ever done. Did some light media training and my second time on live TV was the Today Show. <laughs> so needless to say, I didn't sleep the night before. I was in panic mode. Of course, I worked with the producers to hone my talking points, and the morning came where I was supposed to make my big national TV debut, and the car never showed up that was supposed to take me to the studio. So as you remember, you were working at your computer. I was in panic mode, so you actually drove me into Manhattan, and we got pulled over by a cop because you were speeding. <laughs> we were going through the Lincoln Tunnels. I remember it just like it was yesterday where you just plowed through these cones and the cop was screaming. I burst into tears. And of course, I said, it's my first time on national TV. And the cop let us go. And I did the show. I didn't feel strong about it. And I, I had made one flub. 
And to me, it just felt like the end of the world. Nobody noticed the mistake I made. Everything looked great. I was actually doing a segment on superfoods and beauty foods. And that's when I really started to get into food as medicine before I went down the functional medicine rabbit hole. And I just remember feeling awful about it at the time. And I wish I could have just said to my younger self, hey, nobody is an expert when they start out on TV and doing a national TV spot like that with no experience was super brave and you did great. So the one thing I wanna drive home for practitioners and really anyone who's listening to this is being on camera and doing a great job on camera is a skill that you need to develop so when you see people rocking it on camera, the Oprahs of the world and the Mark Hymans, they have spent hundreds of hours doing camera work. They have had all kinds of training. And after that experience, I really wanted to understand what was causing my nervousness and my fear, how to release it. So I went through a sequencing of trainings. I actually hired an acting coach to help me. I sought out professional media training, which is different from the acting training I've had. And I also did mindset work with yoga and energy work with Qigong to really kind of break through that fear factor that everybody, the introverts like myself, experience on camera. Yeah, and, and since you're coaching a lot of integrative and functional medicine practitioners on camera skills, a lot of your clients as you are introverts. So how does that contribute to jitters even more? And ultimately, what's the root cause behind jitters in the first place? Yeah, it's interesting. So my understanding of trying to earth what unearth while I was so afraid of being on camera, I ended up reading this book about introverts. And I came to realize that, first of all, this is a world that does not prize introverts. But introverts are people that feel input, emotion, taste, touch more strongly than extroverts. So we're the people that kind of shrink back at loud noises, smells smell extra strong to us. A lot of times we have more taste buds than extroverts. So kind of understanding that we feel input and in our surroundings more strongly than extroverts makes doing personal appearances, camera work, and this type of media work more challenging for us. The other piece to it is introverts are thinkers, and we're more about thinking about a problem and solving a problem than projecting our energy. Extroverts are awesome at projecting their energy. But through reading this book, Susan Kane, it's called The Power of, of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. She says that she believes that's why we've had a lot of the financial issues in the world, like the stock market crash, because it's run by extroverts who aren't really thinking through these problems. Through that work, I came to realize that there was a lot of energy work that had to happen, things including how to regulate my nervous system to get myself to calm down so that I could actually deliver the emotion and the care that I feel towards practitioners. And that is the same that practitioners feel towards prospective patients. So a lot of the work I did with yoga, mindset, qigong was about understanding how to calm myself, my nervous system, work with my vagus nerve, work with energy exercises, breath work is also great, but also to get out of my comfort zone with silly acting techniques. And I know when I do these kind of acting techniques with practitioners, and I'll talk more about that later, it can be jolting, but very, very helpful when you're on camera. So the other piece to having fear on camera doesn't really have to do with introvert, extrovert, it's more of a primal thing. 
So when you think of us as a tribal society that we survive in tribes, people go out to hunt and we're very communal as creatures. If you do something against the tribe and you get kicked out, you're going to die. I think this is why people put public speaking up there in terms of fear factor next to the fear of dying or taxes. <laughs> because if you say something wrong and you get judged or pushed out of the tribe, then you're in big trouble. Now, this is even more amplified for somebody who is a practitioner because practitioners get trained based on their knowledge and they're constantly being judged. And a lot of them have gone through medical school or have been trained as clinicians. So they really have to be on point as a clinician. So when they're doing camera in the back of their mind, and I can hear what they're saying intuitively, is they're always afraid that they're not giving enough detail or saying all the right things when they should be focusing on just delivering the information in an approachable empathetic manner. And we know that practitioners have so much value to deliver, but we also want to make sure that they're not delivering things that people don't really care about or that are over people's heads. So once you start to hone your camera skills, it's not only just getting over the jitters, it's also about dealing with the messaging and finding a friendly way to connect with people. Because if you can't connect with people, you're going to lose them and the information isn't going to hit. So it's really that nice balance of those two pieces. And I think the way clinicians are educated going through medical school, the traditional view of doctor as a healer somehow clashes with the more modern view of you're a healer and you're an educator. And I go back to the Latin root of the word doctor, docere, which means to teach. So you're not just a healer, but you're also an educator. And I think when you're stepping outside the hospital arena or insurance-based practice, you suddenly realize that now you're an actually a local authority on health and you have to be an educator and you have to be out on media. And unless you hone that part of your practice, then it's very hard to get traction in your local community. So let's dive a little bit deeper into this aspect. Yeah, so there's a couple of facets to this. The first one is the view of the traditional doctor. You go to the doctor, they're an authority figure, they tell you what's wrong with you, and they send you home. But that's not really what people want with social media. In fact, they want the opposite of that. They want someone who's more of a super knowledgeable confidant. And it doesn't mean that they're going to respect you any less. And there's definitely ways to weave in those authority pieces of wearing a lab coat. But often that authority just comes with what you're saying. Because you're saying something that makes so much sense to them or that's blowing their mind that they've never heard from their traditional care physician. And it's not that there's anything wrong with the basic stuff they're getting done with their doctor, but they're looking for someone to help them solve their problem. At the end of the day, they don't really care about all the diplomas you have on the wall. They want to know, A, you can solve their problem. B, you're going to be sympathetic to them. And it has to have those two pieces. So you being friendly and approachable, so that might be communicating some of your personality through wardrobe and also wearing a lab coat. In my case, it would be a chef coat to show my background in food as medicine. But that idea that, yes, you still have the authority, but that you're really speaking directly to them and helping them see their healing path in a different way and giving them information that they've never heard before. And the other piece to that is really understanding that if you're in the functional or integrative medicine world, you're already doing something that goes against the grain. You are not a traditional doctor by any means. So they don't really expect you to act in a traditional way. They're really looking for kind of a more casual conversation, even though you're talking about something serious. So I always think of when I see Mark Hyman on camera, he doesn't have a stethoscope. He doesn't have 
Maybe he has a diploma. I often don't see him in a lab coat, for example. But, you know, it was a great point that you brought up when we were talking about this interview is that he has something called preeminence. So everybody knows he's a doctor. Everybody knows he's highly trained. He is like the one in the field. You may want to use some of those tools, but at the end of the day, the authority, I think, comes through with what you're saying. And also when you're helping them to solve a problem that they've never been able to solve before. Yeah, absolutely. And we can talk more about the practical implications of this, but why don't we go a little bit more practical on how to overcome jitters? What have you found worked really well for practitioners and anybody listening that wants to brush up on their on-camera skills? Yeah, so there's a couple things with the jitters. I worked with so many producers who actually didn't have training in any of these areas that I sought out additional help in. They would say things to me like, just have fun with it. Just be yourself. Enjoy it. And when and you're bring terrified, it. <laughs> bring it. When you're terrified, that's like being on, I also happen to be very afraid of heights. So it's like being on top of a mountain and you're skiing and your partner says to you, this is fun. Just ski down. You'll be fine. <laughs> so I find when you have the jitters, the first thing you need to think about is how can you do activities that actually calm the nervous system? And as practitioners, you certainly know about the vagus nerve, you know about the parasympathetic versus the sympathetic. So you're in the sympathetic mode, you're freaking out. You can right away notice your body language. That's one of the easiest ways. So if you're sitting, you're very stiff, you're gripping something. That can also come across on cameras very stiff and you not being an empathetic person. So it's really important to examine body language. When I work with practitioners, I do a lot of exercises. I call it camera yoga to help you loosen up physically when you're on camera. So this may require doing things you may know from yoga, like lip fluttering, waving your arms around, getting quite silly. Practitioners have an enormously hard time in being silly and having playtime. But part of being on camera is allowing yourself to make mistakes and allowing yourself to do these silly exercises before you actually turn the camera on so that you can be loose in your skin and your movements can be fluid and you can have a certain level of comfort. When people see you with a certain level of comfort on camera, they assume you're a better clinician. So this is really important and this just comes with practice. So I know that you and I have had a lot of clients who have been deer in headlights on camera. I've been there before. It probably took me a good year to feel really comfortable doing different segments. So one of the things I always tell them is do a seven-day challenge. You film yourself every single day, whether you post it or not. You send the camera live. And at the end of seven days, people that literally felt that they could never do this are rocking it on camera. I have seen it happen time and time again. We have doctors right now, some of them who are like walking through the halls of their hospital. They're like, hey, Dr. So-and-so here. They just, a personality comes through. So that's one piece. The second piece is adding a movement. Some practitioners can do okay adding movement just with their hands. A lot of practitioners do great if they're walking, if they're standing. So you can try different postures versus sitting, standing to break you out of that mode because you really want to get almost into a flow state. And if you're a little bit too stagnant, sometimes that can be really tricky. Another thing you can do is use your iPhone to reverse the camera so you can actually see yourself recording. Because the trouble I had with recording straight to camera, I do great with talk show. 
if I'm talking to a host and I have some feedback. But if you're just looking at a camera and you have no actual physical feedback, it can be really weird to deliver emotion to something that is purely static. One trick I did for myself is I just filmed on my iPhone where I could actually see my face. This is also good to give yourself feedback on certain facial things you're doing, tics that may be strange, or if you're not smiling enough. So it can be weird to artificially create a smile. So I always tell practitioners to start their videos out with a smile. Obviously, if we're talking about something scary or health things, we don't want to be smiling because we don't want people to think that we're laughing at them, but we also want to appear approachable. So if we start with a smile, the smile can fade later on. But you can see what different smiles look like. I know that you and I had this tick for a while where we were constantly like raising our eyebrows to convince people of what we we're saying. And sometimes these ticks can come about because we're trying to think about what we're saying. We're trying to deliver energy and be friendly at the same time. So camera work can be a bit of a multitasking monster when you're not used to it. But once you start to see these ticks, you can correct them. So that's a little bit more advanced. I certainly, when you're first starting out on camera, wouldn't worry about that. But honestly, even if you're not great on camera, you're stiff, you're terrible, any video is better than no video because you may say something that speaks so deeply to someone that could literally unlock their healing journey. So think about it as you could start the healing journey off now just by doing a video, even if it sucks. So you really have to get over that thing of wanting to be awesome right out of the gate. This is like tennis. You have to practice. And also stopping yourself mid-sentence or when you're doing these videos. I always tell people to simply run through the whole video, even if it's horrible. Do it a couple times. When I practice with practitioners during my coaching sessions, by the third time they've done the video, they are awesome and they are ready to film that. So a lot of this stuff is energy, mindset, and getting comfortable with these different techniques. And I want to jump in here to go back something you mentioned, this multitasking nature that's required. And I think for one, it's not exactly how you say it or that you say it a certain specific way. It's much more important to convey the gist of it and the overall intention. People need to see that you come to this with the right intention, and then it doesn't actually matter the actual words that you use, if you say it one way versus another, they just need to feel that you are very passionate about it. And again, for me, I flub a lot of times, I have an accent, I may use the wrong idiom. And when people listen to this, they realize, ha ha ha, not the right use of words, but they can see that my intent is pure, that I really want the best for them. And that ultimately counts so much more than the actual words that you use. And so that can then help focusing you less on the way you're saying it versus use hand gestures, use face movement, smile, stop. Yeah, I mean, that kind of brings us to what happens when you become a brand or a personality. And this can happen to practitioners who have huge TikTok followings, like one of my favorite practitioners, my friend and doctor, Dr. Tara Scott, where you sort of know, like, there's certain things she does or certain things she wears that you come to expect that's part of her personality. So for practitioners, your accent and your Germanness is part of your brand. So when you flub or when you use an idiom in the wrong way, they love it because it's like the trademark thing that's you. And in the chef world, it's always like a, a phrase like Rachel Ray was like yamo. And I think the reason why she said yamo was because she was probably stumped for something to say and yamo came out. <laughs> And it's the same thing with Emerald. 
Emeril Lagasse is bam, because he probably was like, shoot, what do I say now? Because he's concentrating on cooking and he got stumped. So there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong if you make a flub or misspeak, just continue on. And a lot of times, once you continue on, you start to get more into flow state and you start to learn lose that fear factor. But everybody knows that we make mistakes, we flub, we're human. And it's a practitioner's curse to try to be too perfect on camera. And you're never going to get videos done if you're always trying to be too perfect. And I'll tell you, when I used to work as a food stylist behind the scenes of the Oprah show, I've been on air with Montel. They all flub. They all do their intro two and three times. So when they're doing the intro with the teleprompter. So don't think there's anything wrong with flubbing. And this is the work that comes with the practice. And some days you nail the video in one take and other days you don't because you're not as clear thinking and that's fine. It's more about the consistency showing up and that approachability. I want you to share a little bit more about the silly techniques and what you learn from <laughs> acting because I am always overhearing it as you take practitioners through it and I can sense that they are starting to cringe when you make them go through it and eventually that Doing it to some degree, still you can tell that they are super uncomfortable, but let's talk about some of these things that you coach people with. Yeah, so this relates to also my deep work with mindset. I've been studying yoga for 20 years now. I also study Qigong. I read a, wrote a book on alchemy. So really interested in how mindset and emotional balance can transform us. But I'm interested in that piece as to how it can help us achieve our life's purpose and kind of unlock these magical things and for us. And I feel that way because I've experienced it. My career as a chef and all the amazing, crazy things that happened to me. And, and I see these practitioners transforming before my eyes on camera. And I think it's really important. Some of these silly activities I do are like pulling a Yoda on people. And I think it's the one time when I do media training that practitioners really sweat because I'm challenging their idea of self. So when we do camera, we are working with our idea of self or identity, and we have to get over that. So we kind of see ourselves as this very serious, I'm a doctor, I'm going to heal you, I'm going to go through all these tests with you and do this and that, and that's a piece of the identity. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need that piece. But we also have to be very human. So with these activities, we get practitioners into a zone that's very uncomfortable, and I call it playtime. And sometimes it's really hard for me to convince them during the training session that it's just me and you. We're not even recording it. We're just on a Zoom playing around. And we're doing these silly things. But these silly activities actually not only change their energy and loosen them up, and after we do them, they're completely different on camera. I mean... They're using hand gestures and they're speaking. They're more relaxed. It's such a psychological change, but it's also doing something with their vagus nerve. And I suspect something in the brain, but it's also helping them to understand that it's okay to bring play in when we're dealing with something that is a super fearful process. And I even think of it in dog training. Like when I see my dog really scared and he's shaking or I'm about to drop him off at the daycare and then somebody brings a toy his mental state changes instantaneously. So these are the fear disruptors that I use. And we also use breath work and also talk a little bit of talk therapy. I mean, these sessions are like a little bit of therapy going on of facing the fears. And what I often find when I point blank ask practitioners why they're so afraid to be on camera, sometimes they go back to initial traumas. 
so that the camera can reignite childhood traumas, illnesses, traumas that they've experienced during medical school. And medical school can be very traumatic, very wearing on the emotions and the ego and the body. And once they're able to verbalize that, they slay that dragon and then we can move on and they can help connect with the people that need their help so much. Because remember, as healers, when you're helping to heal people, you're also in the process of continuing to peel back that onion layer of healing yourself. And there's an infinite, you're never going to get to that place where you're fully healed. I think that's a myth, but it's that idea of self-development, self-improvement, and revisiting some of those old wounds. And honestly, every practitioner should be able to do camera. Every business professional, it's where we're headed. It's kind of unavoidable. And you don't have to be scared of it. You just need practice and coaching, and it's something you have to work at. And honestly, most people who are terrified in the beginning, I tell them spend 20 minutes a day. They're not even spending 20 minutes a day. They're spending 10 minutes a day. And at the end of the week, I just see these amazing videos coming out. Yeah, it's really about practice, 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 and get comfortable with the uncomfortable until it's not uncomfortable anymore. And I think that's true for anyone, myself included, that if you get rusty and you haven't done videos in a while, it's hard to get yes. back on the horse. So with persistence and consistency, that's how you get better. And as you said, we have lots of clients that get into TikTok that were deathly afraid of the camera and they eventually understood this is what people need to see to really connect with me as a human, making me more human. And as you said, it's only gonna become more important with the advent of ChatGPT and artificial intelligence because now everyone can push out lots of text-based content and exactly. you might feel like you wanna hide behind your blogs or your social media posts because it's just written content that was generated with the help of ChatGPT. But ultimately humans want to connect with humans. And I predict that in a year's time, we have so much text-based content that the real influencers in our communities are the people that are on camera and that are real and raw. And so I think this is why, for instance, Russell Brand, the comedian, he turned down a very lucrative acting career because he wanted to do a podcast and he wanted to talk the truth and be out there and educate. And so I think that's where yeah, we're all heading. Yeah, and his unique brand is educating through humor. And just if we can change gears here, there's one other thing I wanted to share. I wanted to talk a little bit about my pet peeves of when people do videos, it's not practitioners. And I certainly have made all these mistakes, but I thought maybe talking about this could add a little value to practitioners who may be struggling with getting their TikToks out. Yeah, let's, um, let's dive yeah, into it. Yeah. So, you know, another thing that I talk about in the training and something we definitely do, which is a huge piece of marketing as well. So my training definitely crisscrosses with what you're doing even though I do work with practitioners separately, is understanding how to deliver information, understanding how to start a video, understanding the anatomy of a video, and understanding that every type of video should probably follow a slightly different format. So my first huge pet peeve, and this is something that I'm like, ah, that drives me crazy, is that when I'm on TikTok, so TikTok is a completely different video style than something like a webinar. TikTok is fast, direct, two-camera information. So a lot of times I see practitioners and just people in general being like, hey, this is Dr. So-and-so. It's a beautiful day. I'm out here in my garden. I'm walking. 
I mean, that's probably the time it takes most really good TikTokers to deliver the video. So right there, the person's just going to scroll on by. So when it comes to delivering videos, and I feel like this for every video, there's always an opportunity for you to weave in who you are in a way that makes more sense versus introing it that way. Because first, the person doesn't know who the heck you are. You don't have preeminence. They've never seen you before. You have to deliver the value piece right up front. So it should be something intriguing. There should always be a hook. And I know this may sound gimmicky, but it really isn't gimmicky. I'm a person, I'm a busy mom, I'm exhausted, I'm doing a thousand things. How are you gonna change my life? Like, why should I give you my five seconds or my two minutes? So right off the bat, if you say, hey, are you trying everything to lose weight? You're in perimetopause, you're struggling, you're exhausted, you're eating less and exercising more. I'm definitely feeling that. Right away, I would be like, whoa, this person knows what I'm experiencing. Secondly, you're delivering some content piece, and then you can weave in your expertise. Some people don't even care about that, though. They'll go to your profile, and they'll see your expertise there in the bio. But it's really about solving that problem right off the bat, and that's also where you can help them to understand exactly what they're going through versus them going to their traditional care physician or PCP and the person saying, oh, just eat less and exercise more, and they're doing that. And you can see that the doctor doesn't know, and they may say something like, oh, you're just getting older. They've heard that song and dance before, so what is it that you're delivering right off the bat? You're just going for the chugular. And then there's lots of clever ways to weave in. You can say, well, I'm a health coach. I've struggled with hormones. Hormones can be tricky, especially when you get close to menopause. Here's what I do. Or here's download my PDF to get this information. So that's one example. The other pet peeve I have is the stiffness on camera. So this is just something that's probably less of a pet peeve and just something that I really want practitioners to work on. This is why I developed this training program where I'm bringing in all these different pieces of expertise to help you break that stiffness. When somebody just sees stiff talking head right away, that is like, this is boring. People come to social media, unfortunately, to be entertained. That's number one. Number two, they may come for information, but the entertainment part is pretty big. Now, you're a doctor, you're a practitioner, nobody expects you to be dancing or doing all these crazy things. Although, I will tell you, a lot of practitioners will work in funny videos in their platform. And if their shtick or their persona is very serious, Dr. Tar is very serious when she does videos. But when she does her funny videos, I love them even more because she's going outside the realm of what she normally is. And the funny video is actually on something that has to do with her expertise. Yeah. And so I get that and I get it that it's a trend. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so awesome. But of course she has a very high level of expertise on TikTok. So she's one of those examples. So if you find yourself that you're being stiff, there's plenty of ways, things that I had already mentioned in this podcast on how to break out of that. So those are the two things that I think about in terms of pet peeves. One last thing, make sure that your camera is clean, your camera lens. If you have a foggy camera lens, if your audio is bad, people are just going to scroll on by. Nobody has time for that. Audio is probably worse than not having a clean camera. Definitely suggest that whatever you want to wear when you're on camera, you use that all the time. Business casual is fine. A lot of like celebrities will show up on camera without makeup to show their realness. Really, I think it's just about consistency. I definitely wouldn't show up on camera if you're completely exhausted or sick. 
Because as a practitioner, people would be like, oh, why would I work with that practitioner? They look sick. That's a thing. But in terms of your image, and I feel like the more you do these videos, the more these kinds of things that are my pet peeves, I see less and less. And of course, I've never gone onto a brand of practitioner's TikTok and said, hey, loosen up. But I just noticed that practitioners I've trained, as they start to do more and more videos, they just naturally start to do that. So I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, you got to find your groove there. And so many amazing nuggets that you shared. So for people that want to brush up on their camera skills, how can they work with you? Yeah, they can absolutely reach out to me. I know you're going to provide some resources. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. So most people can find me through Instagram, Facebook, or on TikTok. And then obviously I do training with Big Boost Marketing, your company, because we're really about moving practitioners forward in their marketing. And And doing video can really help to build your practice and your presence online. And we're also having an upcoming workshop with Jennifer. That's a group format for those of you interested. I'll put the information in the show notes along with the other ways to connect with Jennifer. And as is always custom on the Getting to Yes podcast, we let the guests have the last words. So Jennifer, what do you want to leave our listeners with You don't have to fear camera when you have someone to help. And it's the same thing when your patients are dealing with health hurdles is that you need to communicate to them that, yeah, it can be tough in the beginning and it can seem harder than it is until you have the right person to help you through it. And I cannot stress what an impact one video can make in somebody's life. Somebody who's hurting, somebody who doesn't have the energy to read blogs or research you, and all of a sudden they find you on some social media platform and you start to change their lives. So please get out there and do video. Amazing advice. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. I believe mastering persuasion is one of the most essential skills in life and certainly in business because nothing ever happens without a yes. Yet we can only effectively influence other people's decisions when we truly understand how the brain makes those decisions. Once you master the decision-making formula, your message becomes ever more clear and influential. Join us next week for our newest episode of Getting to Yes. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. And feel free to share it with colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Uli Iselo. See you next week.